Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Abby. Is there a place I start reading from or just go? No, you go. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Abby. I'm a compulsive overeater recovering bulimic. Hi, Oh, my God. This room is really intimidating. I'm really nervous. <laughs> and I brought my phone because I don't want to spend too much time on what it was like. But um, since there are so many newcomers in the room, I will start with what it was like. And um, just to qualify, I came into the rooms January of 2005. And so I've been here nine years, and I have about nine years of abstinence. I got abstinence as soon as I started working with my sponsor, and that's what I consider my abstinence date. Um, and I've not purged ever since, which is a huge miracle of this program because I tried everything else um, to get here. I was, um, how old was I when I got here? 24 years old, and I'd already exhausted all the diets, all the commercial diet programs, that trying the anorexia, the compulsive exercise, so I came having thoroughly exhausted Abby solutions and had to find this solution. So I'm so, so, so grateful um, but what it was like back in the day, from what I remember, there was a lot of emphasis in my family on looking a certain way so that other people would comment and uh, appreciate it. So it was all about everybody else and not about, you know, what I thought about myself. So apparently when I was younger, my mom got a lot of attention for the way that I looked, and she really appreciated and thrived on that, and it um, gave her a lot of satisfaction. But what happened, and this is just my story, so for all the newcomers, if you're not hearing something that you relate to in my story, there's tons of other people. Just keep coming back. You might hear something in someone else's story. But my story, and this is what makes me nervous to share. I don't like sharing it because it was very, very painful when I was growing up. But um, So I stopped looking a certain way at age seven because my first compulsive behavior wasn't with food. It was with... Um, at the time they diagnosed it as OCD, it's called trichotillomania, and I used to pull out my eyelashes and eyebrows. So needless to say, I did not look the same at seven as I did prior to that when I started that uh, compulsive disorder, and that was really challenging for my mom. And the way, and you know, through this program, that because of this program, not because of therapy, I've been able to release a lot of the resentment and a lot of these messages that I heard when I was younger. Um, it took a long time and a lot of four steps and a lot of ten steps. <laughs> um, but I heard a lot of negative messages about the way that I looked and what I was doing and that it was my willpower and I shouldn't be doing this. And don't you know, no one's going to love you because you look this way. You look like a freak. You look like you have cancer. No one's going to love you. And that was a core message that I heard growing up that completely informed, you know, the way that I felt about my body and just my physical image, which... So that was really, really painful. Um, at age seven, I started going to therapy, which, you know, makes a seven-year-old feel like a freak. Um, so I felt definitely terminally unique, which is another phrase I learned in here. I felt really, really different. And um, what happened is that compulsive behavior morphed into food around adolescence, um, around puberty. And um, which was, it was a weird thing. It was almost like I knew that if I didn't have eyelashes and eyebrows in my bat mitzvah pictures, that was it. I was about to be disowned. So, <laughs> so that I stopped, uh, stopped that by the grace of God because I now had food that I was going to compulsively and binging. It was the same cycle of binge and then shame, binge and then shame. I would come home from school. 
I would stop. I would, I'm from Chicago. Um, I would take the L. There was a nice little quickie mart right there, and I would buy my drug, which was Flaming Hot Cheetos. Um, <laughs> I'd buy two bags of those. I would come home, sit in front of the TV, and before you knew it, all my fingers were bright red. Um, so, but it was that with anything that I could find to eat compulsively. You know, loaves of, of bread and cheese. You know, that was my version of grilled cheese, which was a whole loaf and a whole block of cheese. Um, you know, I did a lot of baking for my family because then I could eat it. So there was, like, the quarter of the Rice Krispie Treat recipe that went to my family and then the rest that I had already eaten. Um, so, again, while, you know, I had eyelashes and eyebrows now, which was pleasing to my mother, I was gaining a lot of weight, which was definitely not okay either. So same messages I was getting of, you know, if you're not looking physically okay, no one's going to love you. It was very, very clear. That was the equation that I heard. Um, so I got to high school, more of the same, um, especially high school because, you know, that's really challenging. So I definitely needed to come home and eat a lot more to deal with the craziness of high school. Um, and then I went to college, as I've heard in this room, the Garden of Eating Disorders. Um, <laughs> And I was in a sorority, so I learned from the best. Um, and for me, in the beginning, it was uh, vanity and competition because I got to freshman year and all my girlfriends were getting a lot of attention from boys and I wasn't getting the same attention. And I'm a very competitive type A person. That's why I brought my phone to make sure that I'm timed in the right way um, for myself. So my OCD, like, OCD obsessiveness like kicked into gear. Um, because I wanted that same kind of attention. So then I started the compulsive exercise. And I was exercising every day, hours a day, and then I started, I learned uh, how to purge. Because I couldn't stop myself from eating all of the free food in the cafeteria, which was delicious, and then, uh, but I didn't want to have the results of that, and I wanted the attention from the boys, so that's where the purging started. So it was via exercise and purging. Um, then a lot of crazy diets. Um, Anorexia, I was really good at, but only for a summer, because then I gave myself mono, so that was the end of the anorexia. Um, and it was funny, because, you know, of course, my mom was like, you look fantastic! <laughs> and I was like, well, I also have mono, so there's that. Um, so clearly health and fit and uh, well-being are not, and, and, and physical well-being are not in the same um, line of equation for her. So... Um, what happened. So then I moved to New York after school for a big job. I got a job uh, before I graduated, which was a miracle. And for me, my career is a huge, huge, huge part of my life. Um, I've learned uh, from being in this program that it's God-given, um, that I knew at, at age eight what I wanted to do. And that's a gift. I, what eight-year-old knows what they want to do, and it's just something I always knew. And so um, I went to school for what I do. I'm in a creative field. I went to New York and started as an assistant um, for working, working for a really, really high-powered um, publicist. And so I didn't have the compulsive exercise because I was working all the time, so I couldn't put my feelings there because I was getting yelled at a lot. It was super high pressure, super high personalities. And I was on my own for the first time at 21, living in New York, burning through money like nobody's business. And so I put all of my feelings in Bagel Day. <laughs> so, you know, get yelled at, go to the kitchen, eat a bagel and cream cheese, come back, get yelled at, same thing, and with whatever was in the kitchen. It didn't really, it didn't necessarily have to be bagels and cream cheese, but those were really good. So what happened was, because I'm an addict, um, I didn't want to face reality, which was the fact that I was gaining a lot of weight really fast. I gained about 30 pounds in three months. 
because uh, I wasn't didn't have time and the luxury to use my old broken tools of compulsive exercise and the purging I didn't really want to do at the office, so I just was gaining weight. What I used to cope that and that and the denial of that was a lot of drugs and alcohol, uh, so I didn't have to deal with it. So, um, and that didn't help with the weight gain either. I've learned that drinking, you know, doesn't, is not great for weight gain. So that curb, my vanity has curbed my drinking, so I didn't have to enter the other room. Um, <laughs> thank you, God, um, for the small thing. So, uh, and then the other thing was, is that I lived in a tiny Manhattan apartment, so there was no full-length mirror. I was only seeing myself from the neck up. And so the fact that my clothes weren't fitting is the dryer's fault. So I was in complete and utter denial. Um, and for me, I was putting it all in my workaholism as well. So there's a lot of things, take, you know, keeping me from facing what I was doing destructively to my body and to my soul, frankly. Um, so then I moved to L.A. because I got uh, my dream job, dream job. And I was here in L.A. and I was working also in another super high-pressure environment. And what would happen is something crazy would happen, I would go to the snack room. Something crazy would happen, I would go to the snack room. And so the waking continued, and there are two things that got me into program. One, or three things, one person, my binge buddy from college was in D.C., and she had found program. And she kept telling me about Overeaters Anonymous. I'm like, I am not going to a program that has Overeaters in the title. <laughs> That's just, no. No, my ego is way too big for that. Um, and she, as I lovingly referred to it, she totally 12-stomped me because she wouldn't let up <laughs> six months. So I knew that was an option, but I wasn't willing to go yet. But what happened was I purged one night at the office, and someone almost caught me. And that scared the shit out of me because anything that would jeopardize my career is for me, like, no, no. So that happened. And then um, I was, it was January. So what do you do in January as a compulsive overeater? You obviously make a resolution to lose weight. So I had made my resolution to lose weight again. And um, the thing that I chose to do to try and get there was go to a commercial diet program for the third time. And this time around, I just couldn't stick to it. I couldn't stick to the numbers and the this and the that. And every Saturday morning when I get on the scale at that commercial diet program and they were like, you gained 2.2 ounces. Like, one, like white hot rage, and I wanted to punch the woman that was weighing me. And then two, and this was more devastating, is that I just didn't want to go out in the world afterwards. Like, if I gained weight, I just wanted, I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to go out in the world. And what's been strange for me is that um, because I have felt, I have had all these messages of, like, physically you will not, you are a freak and you'll never, like, be loved that way, I've always felt like I had to overcompensate in every other area of my life. Well, then I'll get the A plus in every other area and then it'll be okay, even though I'll never get this physical thing down. So I've always been incredibly extroverted and social and had, you know, that's not been an issue, but what happened was, and this was almost harder for me to, wrap my mind around is that after those weigh-ins, I would be out in the world, like, having plans with friends and just wasn't present, couldn't enjoy myself. I was miserable. I would see everybody else enjoying themselves and being okay and comfortable in their bodies, and I just felt like I don't deserve to be here. So um, that was horrible. It was just a horrible feeling. That's what brought me to my knees. I'm like, I can't feel like this anymore. I can't get caught throwing up at work. Like, I need a different, I need something else, and I don't know what else to do. Because I had had my friend for six months not shutting up about <laughs> Overeaters Anonymous, I was like, fine, I'll just try it. 
So that's what got me into the rooms. And I came into the rooms, and it was really intimidating because I accidentally walked into an AA meeting the first time. (laughs) And I was like, what is this? (laughs) But there was also another girl there, Mrs. God, right? Instead of me, like, running out and never coming back again, there was another girl who was there standing in the back being like, are you here for an OA meeting? I'm like, yeah. She's like, me too. I think it was wrong on the sheet that I looked at. I'm like, oh, my God, me too. So I found a human connection, and she's like, I think there's another meeting down in Beverly Hills at, the, at Roxbury Park. You know, do you want to try and go there? I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. So that's evidence of God right from the start. Um, so I went to that meeting, and I still sat there and was like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know about these people. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get the diet program that's going to give me to the weight that's going to make me happy. So, uh. But something about that meeting, I came back again. And it was in my second or third meeting. No, my second meeting, I went to an all-women's meeting that used to be in West Hollywood on Sunday mornings. And the woman who led was um, very similar to me, and she told my story. And I sat there, and I held onto the chair, and I, like, was shaking, and I was trying not to cry. And that, in and of itself, was like, oh, my God, I have to be here. Because I don't, you know, I, I uh, you know, obsessively did anything to avoid emotion, so I'm not a big crier. Like, emotions don't come out in real time prior to me being in this program. So for me to have, like, an emotional response where I wanted to cry in response to hearing someone else's story and relating so much was, that was, like, that was another miracle. So... It made me felt made me feel something, and that was unbelievable. And that was like, oh my God, there's there's so much more to this than just losing weight. And my third meeting is where I met my sponsor. So I kept hearing, you know, if you're not getting it, don't pay attention. If you're really, you know, irritated by the God stuff, which I was, um, just find someone who has what you want and do what they do, and just work the program that way. So that's what I did. Um, someone, a woman, stood up. And, again, because I'm super vain, she was brunette, she was thin, she was married, and she was in my career field. And I was like, that's it. And I was so terrified to ask her to be my sponsor. To be vulnerable, to ask someone to do something like that was terrifying. But I also heard in these rooms, it was starting, all these slogans were starting to sink in. It's just, take the next indicator right action. Just take the next indicator right action. Like, don't think about it. Just do it. So I did it, and she's been my sponsor ever since. I've been with my sponsor for nine years, and that is a huge, huge, huge miracle and blessing, I realize. And I started working with her, and lo and behold, she didn't give me a diet program, which I was really annoyed by. (laughs) What she said was, first, got to get a handle on your abstinence. We have to figure out your abstinence, and we have to start working the steps. We can't work the steps until you're abstinent. And so we uh, did a food history. And then we identified my red, yellow, and green light foods. And we did something that was so foreign to me that it felt so uncomfortable, which was I had to eat three meals a day with an optional snack. No more of this, like, you know, starving all day and then coming home at night and, like, creating some crazy concoctions because there are zero points. It was, okay, let's get you on a real eating plan so that you don't want to binge. And I was like, that seems like a lot. But I'll consent to do it because you've been here a little bit longer than I have. So what that did is start to put just some sanity around my food. It just gave me some space to start working the steps so that I wasn't thinking about food every all second, every second of the day. Because when I'm not eating, all I'm doing is thinking about food. And then after I've been, so all I'm thinking about is how much I hate myself. So there's no space up here for anything else. So what that did, um, make, giving me three meals and an optional snack, was give me space. Ten minutes. Thank you.
So, lo and behold, what's really frustrating is I've learned about something called God's time. It's not Abby's time, which is, I like my time much better. I've learned through this program that I'm a very impatient person. So if I was doing all this work, I wanted to see results. But what ended up happening, and because it's God's plan and in God's time, I had to learn all these new tools and start using them and making that the way that I live my life so I didn't want to rely on the broken tools. And my broken tools were the bulimia, the compulsive exercise. As soon as I felt a feeling, run to that so I didn't have to feel it. So I had to learn to run to other things. I had to learn to run to writing, which I hated doing in the beginning because my mom journals and God forbid do anything like her. But writing has been one of the biggest releases I can get from when I'm, like, going crazy in my head. And so, you know, what it looks like today, the evolution of my program was such that I had to learn the emotional and spiritual component before I got physical recovery. Um, So I ended up getting outside help for the physical recovery probably like three or four years into program, and um, then I was able to do it, because I was able to do it sanely and serenely and with God's help, and which meant not the need instantaneous results in order to stay on a restrictive plan and then not be able to do that and go back to the other stuff. Super slow. Super, super, super slow. And I like to share this part of my story because it shows I don't know anything a lot of the times, is that when I first started seeing my nutritionist, she said to me, how much do you think you should weigh? And I said, The number which I've always had in my head because, you know, I read a lot of things. I know about the BMI and, you know, I basically basically have a PhD in nutrition and she's, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> she has the degree. And so she said to me, that's interesting you have that number, which ends in a four, not in a five or a zero, which is bizarre. She said, it's interesting you think you should weigh that because the way that your body is built and your genetics and, you know, all this stuff from medical science you should, the lowest your body should weigh is 16 pounds more than that number that you have in your head. So anytime you were below this number I'm telling you, you were underweight and it was unhealthy for your body and your body was starving itself. Okay, that was a miracle. Like, I don't know everything. That's, that's, that's shocking. So for me, it was a huge, huge, huge gift and a huge relief to not have to strive for this number that was actually completely unhealthy. So that was one thing that was amazing. Um, and then today, so what, what happens is, so the physical recovery came slowly, but thank God because I learned how to live my life in a different way, and it's with the principles of this program. And I don't know how I would be able to show up for my life today if I didn't have the principles of this program that guide me through as I navigate my day. When feelings come up, which they do now in real time, which is a huge miracle, um, I go to something, I go to this new tool bag that I have. I don't go to my broken tools, and I do it completely imperfectly. But um, for the most part, food isn't the thing that comes up when I'm having issues or I'm feeling obsessive. Um, In the last six months, I've been asked to show up in my career in a way that is so terrifying and scary that if I didn't have program, I I would be hiding in my bed. I mean, things are coming up every day. I'm like, I I can't believe this is happening. Like, what? Um, Am I, am I, I... I work in film, and uh, my company was bought out by another company, and we started as a new studio in January. The woman that's my boss, who's basically the president, went on maternity leave, so I just stepped into her role. And uh, that's a lot. <laughs> so every day, what's the first thing I do? As like, you know, I want to grab from my phone and check my email. No, I get on my knees. That's the first thing I do, and I get connected to God, and that reminds me, I don't run the show today. God does, um, and. Without doing that first, like, my, the, the hamster wheel in my head would just keep spinning. I would try and run the show my way, and then things would be disastrous. 
because I've, I've done it that way, and it leads to disaster. So um, I choose to do it this way. This is I've come to all of this stuff honestly because I've tried it other ways. Um, so for right now, it's like I take it one moment at a time. Right before, and this is this God showing up so many ways in my life, just in little ways, and I look for these to reinforce my faith that this is this is the way that I should be living my life. Is right before the meeting, I had a disastrous thing happen on one of my projects. And I just wanted to sit and spin and obsess about how I could fix it. And what's God is that, no, I had to come here and be of service and tell my story. I couldn't obsess about it, which is a miracle. Because what am I going to do sitting and obsessing? What's that going to do? It's not going to fix anything. So, you know, I just get to turn it over and come here and show up and be of service. So thanks for letting me share. (laughs) Sweating. Okay, thank you. The question was, how am I doing with my mom now, and how do I work the program around her? Also an evolution. Um, I got out a lot of the resentments through my fourth step. I wrote, there was a lot about her. Um, and I learned a really, really valuable expression in this room that I then shared with her at one point, and she loved it too, when she was having issues with her mom, which is, you don't go to the hardware store for milk. So I don't go to my mom for things that she's just not able to give. I know what she, uh, who she is. She's a, you know, she's a human being on this planet too, and I've learned that, you know, that just because, you know, society has certain expectations of how mothers are supposed to act, she just doesn't act that way. And so I've learned to accept her on her terms. And what I do is I just put a lot of boundaries around our relationship. There was a point where she kept making needling comments, and I've had, I've set so many boundaries with her about commenting on the way that I look that, I mean, she just can't help herself. Um, so there was a point where I was going to not talk to her for six months, and, and we had a big come-to-Jesus talk, and I cried, and she cried, and it was actually amazing and beautiful because I learned to be honest with her. Um, but what it is is we talk once a week, and that's it. I see her a couple times a year, and then I, I put on what is my serenity bubble. I do a lot of work before I go see her, so she can't get in. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, the question was, if I'm starting to obsess during the day, what tools do I use to get me out of it? Um, I do a lot during the day. Sometimes, you know, I always have my phone with me. I'll text a fellow if I'm starting to be really crazy. I'll text. Um, text during meetings sometimes. If, if shit's really going down and I'm freaking out, like, I'll, I'll text a fellow in the middle of a meeting uh, at work. Um, I do a lot of writing. Like, I'll just open up my personal email, and I'll just, if I'm obsessing, I'll just, like, free write. Like, I'm obsessing about this, blah, 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 and I just get it out that way. And as a bulimic, it's really helpful to just, like, vomit it out, but in writing. (laughs) So that's something I do. Um, Occasionally, people have said to, um, like, put reminders in your outlook of, like, once an hour, like, breathe, pray, which sometimes when I remember to do is really helpful to see that thing like pop up while I'm in the middle of like some sort of thing that I think is the worst thing in the planet and have no perspective and it just says pray I'm like God (laughs) okay I mean and I just my sponsor too I talk to her a lot and she's constantly reminding me God is your employer I'm like oh right these people here are not my employer which I forget all the time thank you Uh, the question was what has been my evolution of God. Um, I was raised as a Jew, and there was not much in terms of the God of it all. God in the stories, but uh, it was much more about the culture and tradition rather than any sort of spirituality. Um, so when I came in here, I, you know, I came from a family of, they fancy themselves intellectuals, so, you know, religion, like, 
spirituality, all that God stuff, real, like, faith stuff. That's for stupid people. But um, so I sort of ignored it in the beginning. And I was like, well, let's just work on this, like, getting my food in order stuff and tools and all of that. But what ended up happening is that I had to believe that I was powerless in order to really, truly turn over my food. And so first I acted as if I was turning my food and my powerlessness over to whatever. And then I started having all of these experiences that built like a daisy chain of faith. And they were mostly in my career, actually, um, where I'd be, I'd think that something had to have a certain outcome, like this, I knew I needed this job next. And I'd be muscle, 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 try and get it. And then I didn't get it, and something exploded, and I was really upset, and then cut to, like, a couple years later, I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't get that job, because I needed to get this job, which got me to here, which got me to here. And it's always in hindsight that I was seeing God's plan, but enough of those instances totally has built my um, my faith, which is really strong now. So now, especially, like, I take my hands off the wheel, I do the next indicator right action, and then the results are up to God, because what I'm being asked to do right now, I'm like, if I thought of the big picture, I would go hide under the covers. Thank you.